Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, how do you think that went? I mean, just kind of think about that a little bit. How do you think that went? You think, you, you think that Esau went to Mehalot and said something like, Mehalot, I've always loved you all my life. And with all my heart, I've always loved you. You would make me the happiest person on earth if you would agree to be my wife. You know? Will you meet my deep love for you by telling me that you'll be my wife? You think it went down like that? <laughs> you, know? you, you think that's how the romance happened? Not at all. Esau did not marry, I mean, we're talking about this person, Mehalot, here. What about her? She, he, he did not marry Mehalot because he loved her. He did not marry Mehalot to please himself. He married Mehalot to please his father. And if you went to Esau and said, Mehalot, he said, Mehalot now, Esau, this woman, Mehalot, are you marrying her to please God? You know what he'd say? What's God got to do with it? Because that's his position in life. And that marks the difference between a lost person and an obedient Christian. You know, obedient Christian, he wants to make sure that he marries the right person. And to marry the right person, an obedient Christian does not say, there's only one question that I need to answer, and that is, will marrying this person please me? To marry the right person, an obedient Christian doesn't say, there's only one question I need to answer, will marrying this person please my parents? To marry the right person, an obedient Christian asks, there's only one question to answer, will marrying this person please God? But Esau said, what's God got to do with it? And Esau didn't marry Mehalot because he wanted to please God. The only reason Esau married Mehalot was to please his father so Esau could get from his father what would please him, the blessing of Abraham. Now, we see in verse 10 these words, and Jacob went out from Beersheba to, went to Haran. See, with these words, Jacob went out. We have Isaac now fading off the pages of history. He finally has fulfilled his role, passed the blessing of Abraham on to the right person, Jacob, a little struggle, finally happened. And with the words of verse 10, Isaac went out. We have Esau fading off the pages of history in his confirmed state of what God got to do with it. And with the words, Jacob went out, we now have this continuation of Jacob's trouble. And so what we're told in verse 10 is Jacob is heading for Haran. It's not very far. It's only about 400 miles. It's like, it's like walking from San Diego to Monterey Bay. That shouldn't take too long, right? That should be easy. And we're told in verse 10, he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. See, what we're told in verse 19 of this chapter is that that certain place was Bethel. And we know today 
that Bethel is about 48 miles from Beersheba. So on his first day out, Jacob has been a pretty brisk walker. He's walked 48 miles, which means he was walking for maybe 15 hours or something. That takes a while to walk that far. And so it looks like he would have gone farther to get away from Esau that was trying to kill him, except the problem is the sun went down. He gets stopped by darkness. He can't, there's no light to guide him anymore. And so now, what does it say? He does. It says in verse 11, he took up the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. Okay? Stones for a pillow. <laughs> That's good, right? You go down to Macy's and say, you know, where's your stones for the, in the pillow section? <laughs> and we can see Jacob there arranging hard, cold stones for pillows to sleep on. I mean, he's leaning against these hard, cold stones for pillows. He's desperately looking for comfort. He's cuddled up against hard, cold stones for pillows. Is this the Jacob who's the heir of the blessing of Abraham here from the almighty God of the universe bedding down with cold, hard stones for pillows? No place to lay his head but on cold, hard stones? Is that the Lord of glory? Is that the one who, who will do all judgment? Who said in Matthew 8, 20, Jesus saith unto him, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath not where to lay his head. See, there we see Jacob, poor Jacob, no soft pillows to comfort him, no soft wife to comfort him. This is the only place in the Old Testament where it ever speaks about a pillow that a person sleeps on. Why is it talking? It's important. It's emphasized twice in this verse 11 and then verse 18 that Jacob used stones for pillows. And it's emphasized to really make us feel how comfortless Jacob was and how all alone he was out there. I mean, this is his first night away from home. And his first night is gonna be the first night of a 20-year period of Jacob's trouble. And the next 20 years, Jacob's gonna have a lot of experience with being out there in the open desert. And later on, Jacob is gonna come to Laban to tell him what it's like to be out there. When he says in Genesis 31, 40, thus I was in the day the drought consumed me and the frost by night and my sleep departed from mine eyes. See, in this verse, talking about in Genesis 31, 40, Jacob said, there are three issues with being out there in the open desert. First, there's the issue of in the day the drought consumed me. See, that's the issue of the daytime is being wasted with no water in a hot desert. And second, he says, there's the issue of the frost by night. And that's being so cold that frost forms on you as you sleep. And then third, there's the issue, as he put it, of my sleep departed from mine eyes. See, that's the issue of how unsafe the desert is at night. Dangerous animals come out to prowl. You go to sleep for a good night's sleep, and you wake up and look at a scorpion right in front of your eyes or a poisonous snake or something. You know, you settle down, it might be your last night. But from Jacob's description in Genesis 31, 20, the frost by night, we feel it's, it's cold out there. The ground's cold, the air's cold, his bones feel cold, those stones were cold. 
used for pillows. You know, he's just physically cold. He's coldly alone. And so there beds Jacob down with two words. You can just think of two words. What's his life going to be like now? And starting off, and it's the two words, no more. <laughs> no more. You know, Genesis 25, 37 described Jacob and Esau when it said, and the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Jacob, he's a plain man dwelling in tents. He's a plain man dwelling in tents. You know, he stayed under the protection of tents, but no more. In verse 11, Jacob is all exposed, no tent to protect him. No more warm tent to keep him warm. No more warm soup in the kitchen. And then we were told in Genesis 25, 28, Rebekah loved Jacob. Rebekah loved Jacob. Rebekah loved and protected Jacob, but no more. In verse 11, he's no more protected by his mama. She's not there. And if Esau had been there, Esau always said, well, now I'm in my element. I'm a man of the field. I'm a cunning hunter. I'm, I couldn't be happier. And so we can imagine Jacob saying to himself, I'm a plain man dwelling in tents. What am I doing here among these wild animals that I don't even know how to hunt? I'm out of my element. I'm so vulnerable. And when it says in verse 11, Jacob lighted upon a certain place. He tarried there all night. I mean, Jacob's running for his life from Esau. And he's fearing. He says, Esau's going to come out and kill me. He's going to hunt me down like those animals he's so good at killing. Or maybe send somebody to kill me. I don't know. So, you know, this is Jacob's state as he beds down. So, so sweet dreams, Jacob. <laughs> as you bed down this night, fleeing for your life, you know. As a matter of fact, kind of look at him there, those stones for the pillows, he kind of looks like a, those stones kind of look like an altar. Later, they'll become an altar. But he says, they kind of look like an altar that you sacrifice animals on. And Jacob sort of looks like an animal ready to be sacrificed, you know. That's what happens. And so he beds down there. He says, this deep anxiety. And he thinks about his father's last words in verse 4. The land wherein thou art a stranger. And it's a horrible feeling, feeling of being left alone. And Jacob felt being left alone. And the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about that feeling of being left alone. We talked about it actually this morning in the breaking of bread. But in John 16, 32, the Lord Jesus says, The hour cometh, yea, now is come, that ye shall be scattered, every one to his own, and shall leave me alone. And Jacob could say that same verse in verse 11, that he had been left alone. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he saw that his friends would run away from him, leave him alone, and he went on in that verse to say, behold, the hour cometh, yea, now has come, you shall be scattered, everyone to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. See, the presence of the Father never left the Lord Jesus alone. It was always on his mind. He said in John 8, 29, he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. For I do always those things that please him. He didn't say in Psalm 22, my father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? So the Lord Jesus was never alone, even when all of his friends left him alone. And Jacob was not alone in verse 11. Even though he was left alone, he was not alone. He's going to learn that. And we're never alone, even when everyone has left us, because of what the Lord Jesus said in John 14, 10 through 11. He said, believest thou not that I am in my father? and the Father in me. The words that I speak unto you are not of myself. The Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me 
that I am in the Father and the Father in me. So he spoke about the Father dwelling in him and how he was in the Father and the Father was in him. And that made it so he was never alone. And we are never alone because he said the same things about Christians, about us being in him. He said that in John 14, 20. At that day, you shall know that I am in my Father and ye in me and I in you. And Paul spoke about the wonder of this as a discovery that he made in Galatians 1, 15 through 16, when Paul says, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Now, verse 16 tells you what it pleased God. It pleased God to reveal his son in me. And what difference does that make? That I might preach him among the Gentiles. See, what did it please God to do? To show Paul that his son was in Paul. And how did Paul discover that the Lord Jesus was in Paul? By revelation. It pleased God to reveal his son in me. And what did his son in Paul enable Paul to do? To preach the Lord Jesus. See, it's that knowledge of the dwelling, the indwelling of the Lord Jesus inside of us that not only takes away the fear of being alone, it enables us to do what we can't do in ourselves. And the most difficult accomplishment for the Lord Jesus when he said it's accomplished, it's finished, the most difficult accomplishment that he had was to suffer for our sins. And he spoke about that in Isaiah 50, verses six through nine, when he said, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me. Behold, the Lord will help me. How could he give us back to the spiders? How could he give us cheeks to them that plucked off the beard? How could he not hide his face from shame and spitting? How could he set his face like a flint and not be ashamed? By knowing the Lord would help him because he is near that justifieth me. How near? Inside of him. That near. How can we do what we can't do in ourselves? By knowing the Lord will help us by knowing he is near that justifieth. How near? Inside of us. That near. But Jacob lying there on these stones for pillows, he doesn't really see that right now, but he will. In fact, he kind of looks like a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, a Romans 12.1 living sacrifice. He sort of looks like as he's laying there a Galatians 2.20 sacrifice where Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That verse is so confusing. He says, I, I, he says, I die, I live. I don't live, I do live. What are you talking about? <laughs> he says, the eyes and the me's. He says, I am crucified with Christ, which means I've died. He said, nevertheless, I live. Okay, which means I still live. But not I. That means it's not me that lives. But Christ liveth in me. That means my real life is Christ's life. My real life is an expression of Christ living in me, which means that I have a new living life, which is an expression of Christ living in me, which is... I do when I live by faith. But I also have an old dead life, and that's seen when I live by unbelief. So Paul's looking at himself, and he says, 
Was that the new life, an expression of Christ in me? Or was that the old dead life, which is living by unbelief? Now, in verse 11, we see Jacob lays down in that place to sleep. That's what it says. It's amazing. And lay down in that place to sleep. How in the world could Jacob sleep? How could he lay down and sleep when he's all this Jacob's trouble around him? How, how can we lay down and sleep when we have Tom's trouble or you know <laughs> Jim's trouble, everybody's trouble? How can we lay down and sleep when we have our trouble? The reason is because of Psalm 4.8. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. It's one thing to lay down. It's another thing to sleep. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. See, with so much trouble, how could Jacob sleep? How can we sleep? Because of the for thou and the only. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. See, Psalm 3, 5. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, like he's surprised. For the Lord sustained me. How could Jacob wake? How could he go sleep and wake up? The Lord sustained him. Proverbs 3.24, when thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. How could he lie down and have sweet sleeps? Because of the Lord. Now, you think about all those verses about the sleep. And then you think about how the Bible speaks about another sleep in 1 Thessalonians 13 through 14. I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And which you sorrow not, as others have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. See, sleep, it's death. So how can you calmly die? How can you lie down and die <laughs> peacefully, sweetly? Because... Thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. First Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10. God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. How does this work? How does this work? How, do we, how does this work that we get this great peace in the midst of trouble? Because of what it says, there are several things that are said. As a matter of fact, there are five things that are said, wonderful things that are said in Deuteronomy 33, 27 through 29. Welcome to Israel, applies to us. The eternal God is thy refuge, number one. And underneath are the everlasting arms, number two. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say, destroy them. Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob, number three shall be upon a land of corn and wine. Also, his heaven shall drop down dew. Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help, number four. Who is the sword of thy excellency, number five. Thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their high places. See, these are names. What are, these are names for God. See, God is our refuge. That's a name. God is the, the everlasting arms. It's a name. God is the one who is the fountain of Jacob. That's a name. God is the shield of thy help. The magen, the shield, like the Jewish star, shield of David. It's the shield of thy help, who is the sword of thy excellency. That's a name. See, this is what God said to Israel in Ezekiel 34, 24 through 27. The Lord will be their God, and my servant David a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I'll make them a covenant of peace. I'll cause evil beasts to cease out of their land. 
they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. That's Jacob. That's Jacob. And then he says, I will cause the shower to come down in a season. There shall be showers of blessing. See, you thought that was only him? It's not. (laughs) And he says, and they shall be safe in their land. Oh boy, is that something. Safe in the land of Israel. Hosea 2.18, at that day I'll make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven, with the creeping things on the ground. That'd be the scorpion and the poison snakes. And I'll break the bow and the sword. That'd be Esau's bow and sword. And the battle out of the earth. And I'll make them to lie down safely. That's Jacob. That's Jacob there. God's making a covenant with the wild beasts. He says, you leave them alone. And the fowls, the, the ravens that would pluck at him, and he says, leave them alone. He talks to the scorpions, the poisonous snakes. Don't touch him. Esau can't find his bow and his sword. That's funny. Why? Romans 8.35. Who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Is tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or being out in the desert by day and, the, and being out in the desert by night and having a brother that wants to kill you and not having any money, no camels, no servants? And Paul says, I'm persuaded. Neither death nor life, nor angels, Romans 8, 38 to 39. Nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, height, depth, any other creature shall not be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Jacob could not have been safer out there sleeping out there exposed on this cold ground with these cold hard stones for pillows because the Lord made a covenant with the animals and he was the shield of Jacob's help. What a wonderful title for God. And because God has said to him, now you just don't take your eyes off of him. You know, it's just like yesterday, day before, you know, the, the grandkids came over. And so, you know, he got the, the littlest one is, I don't know, it's four or five months, you know, Colton, and he's in the pool. Somebody turns their back, all of a sudden he's under the water. You know, people quickly get him up, you know, he's like, oh, what a family I've got. Anyway, then there's little Kate, she's uh, two. And so a mother says to Grace, she's nine, Grace, get in the water with Kate. Stay five feet away from her and don't take your eyes off her. And I thought, that's what God does for us. He says to the angels, get in the water, (laughs) stay five feet away from them and don't take your eyes off them. (laughs) Best night's sleep he ever had in his life. That stone pillows, they're pretty important. They're pretty essential in this picture because they show that God's time to comfort us are the times when we have stones for our pillows. When we are the most destitute of comforts, that's when God moves in. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful way in which you took care of Jacob out there. And Lord, we ask you to help us to always remember that you are no more than five feet away from us all the time, and you've got your eyes on us. And we may feel totally, oh no, but Lord, you've, you're watching us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. 
Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor, that's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. You're invited to Christmas Under the Stars at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, Saturday, December 12th from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Activities for the entire family, including a live nativity, caroling candlelit museum tours, ornament making, cookie decorating, star exploration, and a special Star of Bethlehem message by guest Paul Taylor. Join us for this family-free Christmas event at the Creation Museum, 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org. Looking for an exciting career in the medical field or biotech industry? Join Scanabody's Biologics, founded by a Christian businessman, Tom Cantor. It's a premier company dedicated to advancing patient care and serving the community of San Diego. Scanabody's has global operations and over 700 employees and growing. And if you have a heart for people and a desire to join a leading biotech company, call us 619-258-9300, 619-258-9300, scanabodies.com, that's scanabodies.com.